0: Hello, hello, this is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast is an incredibly talented multi-hyphenate, Eddie Schmidt. And I say multi-hyphenate because he's an award-winning and incredibly prolific documentarian, and he's also a very seasoned unscripted showrunner, so he's really navigated both worlds in an impressive way. And now that those two worlds are intersecting in our business, it's a good time to be Eddie. (laughs) We talk about Eddie's work in both genres and how we came together to work on a docu-series for CBS this past year. Eddie is really a special gem in our business and I urge you to watch all of his work as soon as you can. You will not be disappointed. Hi, Eddie. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you.
1: Nice to be here.
0: I'm so happy you're here. I feel like um, I haven't really ever seen you in a non-stressed environment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> where I wasn't tethered to cables.
0: Exactly. Or you didn't have things yeah. dangling in and out of your right, ear and right. coming wires coming from everywhere. So I, I am happy to... to to have you. Um, And I said in my intro, I called you a multi-hyphenate. Oh, wow. (laughs) You dance, you sing. (laughs) I have six last names. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, No, because you, well, it's interesting. So tell me if I'm right on this. I feel like your career has been sort of navigating between these two worlds of documentary and TV, but now these two worlds have sort of collided because they're kind of the same thing now, in a way.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's a very good way to kind of synthesize <laughs> okay. many years of, of, a, of a curvy path. Right. Um, yeah, I think that, um, well, and, and I'll throw comedy into that mix, too, because I have a comedy background. But yeah, yeah I think for a long time, um, what um, the fact that I had um, varied interests and talents was confusing to people because it was like, well, what are you? Are you the guy that does this or that? And over time, I think because... Um, I've been able to do it uh, in different genres, or to sort of prove to people that, like, hey, these things are not so different after all—a feature doc or a nonfiction show. I've had the license of, like, oh, okay, I understand now. I understand that that you can be multifaceted, but for a long time it was a challenge.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because now um, when we're trying to get showrunners for shows that are docu, you want an Eddie Schmidt, whereas before it was like, oh, he's only done film, you know? Now it's like, oh, God, a documentary. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to let things unfold, you know?
1: Right. Well, they used used to think, because I would go into these meetings, and they'd say, well, I know that you were nominated for an Oscar and you did all this, but, I mean, can you you really think you could do a series? And I would think, <laughs> why not? And I think it was almost like um, they felt like you would be irresponsible somehow or that you didn't understand deadlines. Right, it'd take budgets. you seven
0: years to do a series. right?
1: <laughs> and, and you know, and in all the docs I did, I mean, and granted, when, when I was much more steeped in feature docs, you know, we were doing them on a pretty, on the regular. So I didn't take, with few exceptions, several years to do films. But in every case... There was a budget, and we had we knew what we had to accomplish, and we had deadlines. And I think, if anything, I was always probably the one pushing of like, "Hey, we got to finish this thing. Yeah, we got to wrap it up. Like, we can't. wait right. we, Like, let's stop make, lingering. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I always was the, ha, had the grown up hat on with that. But I would say too, like, um, I don't know, not everybody who comes from the feature doc world can make the transition because part of, and this is goes back to the my kind of range of experiences that I always believed in being a good collaborator and I liked collaboration. And so I think if you're very much, it's all about me, it's my singular vision. I can't, I need, I need what I need. Then you're probably not going to do as well on television because there's a lot of money on the line and there are a lot of people whose voices have to be heard, particularly the people that are giving you the money to do it. And so there are people who I would, you know, are very Talented is what they do in features and television storytelling might not be for them because they may not be able to uh, play ball in that sense.
0: I think it's a great point. So I don't even know, you know, in the time that we spent together, I don't. You know, I usually try to get people's deep background. Like, uh, I know you're from Connecticut, yeah. but I don't really know. Did you yeah. dive right into docs after college? I'm assuming you went to college. You're very <laughs> I, smart, but maybe <laughs> you, you aren't educated. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was raised by wolves. No, okay. Well, yeah. so I'm actually originally from Staten Island. Oh, God. Eddie. Yeah. Come I'm on. from Staten Island. we we'll that, that out. That gives me some street cred. <laughs> well, very on, little. Let's, hey, listen. A guy <laughs> that I w- went to elementary school became part of the extended Wu-Tang Clan, okay? There you so go. I went to his birthday parties at Party Time Pizza, so I think <laughs> <laughs> that that makes me, by extension, a, a degree away from the Wu Tang. I didn't know? know there was an extended Wu Tang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is, there is. They have like a bigger posse. a Splinter Group. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we moved to Connecticut when I was in middle school. Um, my parents still live there, Newtown, actually. So Sandy Hook. So yes, um, that was a big. As a matter of fact, when I was in post on Valentine Road, which was about a school shooting, everything happened, and I couldn't believe it. Actually, and I, I mean, it was horrifying because. But how can this? How can this be that I am connected to two school shootings? Right. I shouldn't be connected to any, but one is happening in my hometown while I'm making a film about one that happened in California.
0: That's insane, and and I definitely want to talk about Valentine's yeah. Road in a bit. I, I watched it last night finally, oh, and wow. I'm still it's haunting me. So it's
1: we, a, we will. It's pretty powerful, yeah. And and so anyway, um, you know, not to diminish the, no. the that story, of which, course, um, but but to. In terms of my background, so I went to Vassar College, and uh, and I studied drama and film, and I did I did a lot of acting. So I had a sketch group there called Laughing Stock, uh, and uh, I did plays. I did everything from Chekhov to Mamet to like I really enjoyed acting. I, the thing I always say about Vassar is like it was small enough, it was cosmopolitan enough that you had the influx of New York people from the arts, right. right? but it wasn't so big that you could get lost. Like it was, you you could make your mark. If yeah. you were like a talented person with a lot of drive, you could do anything. So I was on stage, I had a radio show, I had, you know, you That's just, cool. yeah, and that was, and I made films. And so I think I realized pretty early on, as much as I enjoyed performing and I would want it, I guess I saw my future as being more involved in the making of things. Yeah. That that seemed more satisfying than, spending, like, every day waiting in line to say, gee, this chip tastes delicious. <laughs> like, I thought that's not, I, I can't live that life, like, going to auditions and stuff. Like, I'll, I'll be very unsatisfied. So I decided to focus on being somebody who was a, a, a there's no term for it then, but a content creator. Right. It was, it was of, like, I want to make stuff. And so, I, but it was initially narrative. I didn't really think about, I think I did have to make a documentary uh, in college about how your tray gets cleaned at the cafeteria, or we were given, we were given a choice. And so they had this crazy Rube Goldberg contraption. So that was my, that was my first documentary wow, is how it your sounds tray fascinating. gets cleaned <laughs> in the cafeteria. It was kind of cool, actually. I think we, we eventually set it to Madonna's justify my love and played it in our sketch show.
0: There, that was probably yeah. your idea. Cause you have the music ear. I noticed <laughs> I do. that. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, and I was a musician. I played in bands all Course through you high are. school. And now
0: you're a Multi-multi-hyphenate. I didn't even
1: know. <laughs> yeah, guitar player. As a matter of fact, some oh, cool. of the documentaries have music by me or by my dad in, in many of them. Father Schmidt. Yeah, wow. Father Schmidt. So, Amazing. But so, yeah, so I I did have a creative household. And and so anyway, so from Vassar, I, I thought I would make, I, I, at the time, sort of my, you know, my heroes were like, Woody Allen, John Waters, Weird Al—like yeah. I, I wanted to, be, I wanted to be an auteur of funny, strange things. Right, and so and the <laughs> sketch stuff, and so I, I didn't really think documentaries at all. That came by accident later.
0: So was comedy first? Then mm-hmm. I mean, but I saw on your resume the yeah. first show was Blind Date, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Just because I can't picture you doing that show.
1: Yeah, well, we. Yeah, I was. I was part of a very funny group of people that wrote the Bubbles and, oh, the, and all okay. the graphic stuff.
0: Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that and was a great show, by the way. Not was, putting down Blind t- Date. Hey, listen, yeah. you know, <laughs> groundbreaking. Was, I
1: I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's funny because I. I mean, I. I sort of. I didn't. Un- unlike some people, um. You know, I. I. I Didn't have the opportunity, you know, I wasn't a trust fund baby, so I couldn't, could have make my mark on the world or make an independent film that was self-financed. Like, I definitely worked my way up. And so I came out from Vassar and we were performing and doing comedy, but I had to get work. And so um, I, after working for free um, on several things, I became an assistant to the post-production department at New Line Cinema. And then I sort of like got to actually see how work on the process, and then also there were short ends from movies. This is still shot on film, so right. it was like I would take. I was allowed to take the short ends for like, I don't know, the Jim Carrey The Mask and Seven. I think we took the short ends for Boogie Nights and stuff, and we made our own shorts. So I was I started making these narrative shorts that got into festivals. Wow! And so I had a buddy at the time was my writing partner, and we thought like, okay, this is the path. Yeah. You know? And in the meantime, I was kind of working my way up in post. And uh, and anyway, so documentaries happened by accident because I uh, ended up becoming a post-super on a doc, a, a doc by Kirby Dick. And at the same time, I was kind of very interested in the form. And then I thought, oh, this is interesting because much like, well, you can get on a stage and perform sketch comedy, I, I didn't have to wait for permission to make something. It was like, oh, I could just get a camera and f- tell a story. Yeah, that seemed very appealing to me.
0: So you were were you in New York at that time?
1: No, always was in L. A. Here, yeah. Okay. We came. Out, I came out with guys oh, from my sketch group. Yeah. We drove across the country oh, wow. in my Mitsubishi, which broke down in Arizona. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you almost made it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, I, yeah but I, but I should have done ten years in Arizona first. <laughs> um, and so we, yeah, we were pursuing the dream of performing still, and and we cut close. I mean, we had. We did shows at the Comedy Central and then the HBO workspace. And we did Comedy Store and Ice House and all those places. And uh, and we were doing like pranks, like like kind of Sasha Baron Cohen-esque pranks. Right. And weaving that video into our shows, which at the time was novel. This is yeah. late, late 90s. And we had to deal with Fox TV Studios and that didn't happen. They didn't pick up, you know, they tried to sell our show to Fox and elsewhere and nobody bought it. And so it was, that dream was sort of dying of being a... Writer performer. Yeah. And then at the same time, Kirby Dick had asked me to produce a HBO pilot, which then that didn't go. But then that led to this documentary, Chain Camera. And Chain Camera w- got into Sundance. And so I basically had called by. My- agent at the time who was a comedy agent and said, hey, I have a new career. I'm a documentary producer.
0: <laughs> He's like, that's not funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And, and what can I, how can I make money off that?
0: Right. So your first big comedic doc was Twist of Fate. No,
1: <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. How, a romp. Yeah, sexual abuse in the... Pr- <laughs> well, it doesn't it, get
0: funny. It doesn't get funny. Um, no,
1: it, uh, so, so that
0: was your... Was- I guess after Chain Camera was that was your first sort of splashy big doc that you produced.
1: Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. And that and, was with Kirby. Mm-hmm. And so then, and we became partners for several years. But yeah, that I mean, the fact that it and it's funny. I had um, when I was starting out, one of the other jobs I had interned at Premier Magazine at the time, which was really cool. And I worked yeah. with this like really great writer named John H. Richardson, who I really admired. And I kind of told him like, Hey, I'm I'm going to make. You know, I'm going to be a writer director, and he was like, "Ah, uh, it'll take you ten years." And at the time, I, that really pissed me off right. I was like, <laughs> "Fuck him, yeah. ten years." And then, uh, so chain camera got into Sundance, and I was and I, and I realized, oh, it took me nine. So I sent him a little note, and I said, "You were right, but I did it in nine. You know, and and I think there was a lot to be said for working your way up and learning. And you don't realize that at the time, and that is advice that I try to pass on to people.
0: I I think it comes up almost every time, and if I, I you probably talk to kids and stuff, and I that's what I always say because I mean the sort of cliche with these millennials is like that you're going to be handed a director job or an EP job your first day, and it, it does. It takes a long. It should take.
1: Let's. It should take a long time. Well, and some people look. I mean, at the time when I was. In that this was early '90s, like yeah. Tar- Tarantino, and I, right. we were like, "Damn, I want to! Why can't I?" Right. You know, and they <laughs> right. were giving out money to a lot of would-be Tarantino's, yeah. but you don't you don't remember them. You remember Tarantino. It's rare that somebody comes out of the box as such a singular talent. Right. And I, I would like to think that I'm talented, but a lot of it is hard, hard work and craft. And um, I don't think uh, I would never have happened had I not learned. Like I think of all the like. Trailers that I mixed and color corrected Mm -hmm. for new line and all the release prints I had to inspect and like every single thing where I really learned all these different tools. Like, oh, wow, Um, I'm a better, whatever, director, showrunner, whatever whatever I'm doing, I'm better at it because it's that 10,000 hours. Like I actually have put in that time. I completely agree. You're,
0: you're, you're, you're singing
1: my tune completely (laughs) because, you know, I started
0: the same way, like, you know, doing 50 different jobs and it's just, it's really how you learn. And then you don't have those blind spots later where you really understand the full picture of everything you're
1: doing. Right. Or, or that you, I think what happens to some people, you know, is that, that you have to sort of bluff. (laughs) I mean, that they really, (laughs) well, that they really don't know, or you wind up in a job where you're overseeing people or, or the creation of, of products that you're you only have a tangential knowledge of. Whereas like, no, 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 I I actually know how the car is built. Right. Like I know how it's run. So you can't do that unless you do this or like Yeah. You know.
0: And well that's why I mean not to go off on too much of a tangent, but that's why I always love when, you know, people on the network side come from a producing background because they actually get when they give you notes yes. what's possible and what's not. And if you don't sure. if you haven't been in the trenches, you have a blind spot for that
1: it's very hard right it's very hard to understand like you know the the limitations and and exactly. like what is what is actually doable in a day
0: exactly so how did twist of faith come about
1: well um, yeah so twist of faith um, was something um, you know because we had made chain camera and that was sort of I guess what you'd call like a it wasn't a negative pick. It was like a, sort of an acquisition for HBO in the sense that, like at the time, uh, HBO and Cinemax both had original programming from the Doc division, mm-hmm. and so they basically gave us sort of just enough money for Cinemax, which was enough to get it made, but not enough to pay ourselves really. And right. So, but but they let it. But they let you keep the rights. So they basically made a broadcast deal, and then we had the other rights, which we eventually sold to BBC, and then. We sold the Sundance. Cha- like it, it was, it worked out well. It taught me actually about indie financing of the sort of, of the idea of, you know, it, ownership will mean something. Like, okay, I'm not, I can't get a salary. Right. But I, I do own a per- big percentage of this movie.
0: So. so did you end up, and you don't have to tell yeah, me numbers, okay. but I'm just so curious because I don't know a lot about this. Do, did you end up making more by owning the rice than you would have if you would have been given a mm-hmm. line item?
1: I don't know. Well, look, I, I would say this, and this is what this comes up a lot because people sometimes ask to do lower budgeted stuff. And at a certain point, like I could do that when I was in my late twenties <laughs> right. no and kids. renting an apartment <laughs> right. and didn't have a child. Right? Yeah. Then you could go, okay, I'm making money on this other thing, and I'm right. going to work hard on this because I can work million hours a day because I don't have a, <laughs> right. these responsibilities. And then so I'll take a flyer on it. But I couldn't do that. All the time. And so sometimes now, like I will, when I come on as an exec producer of Feature Docs, because I do like to keep my toe in that world, uh, I'm not necessarily getting a salary, but I would take a percentage of it. And that's fine, because it's not my everyday bread and butter thing. And I'm believing in the movie, and I just want it to get made. Yeah, Um, But so, yeah, I couldn't do that. For everything, got it. Uh, but anyway, so, so chain camera because it got into Sundance, and you know, we I should probably say what it was or is, which is it was a, it, we gave cameras to high school kids within one high school, and they passed the cameras around like chain letters, and they they would tape videotape their lives for a week, which in 2016, 2017 doesn't right. sound revolutionary, <laughs> yeah, right. but in 2000 yeah. was the idea that you were going to make a film that you as director producers were not going to be present in the room when it was shot and it would be totally unfiltered i mean you know we would be editing it obviously and i would go to the school and talk to the kids about their lives and encourage them sort of you know what you might call like story pre- like i was in touch with them of like oh that's interesting you should film that or you know some some sort of a coach almost but we weren't around so it meant that it was very unfiltered now of course you know, we should have just made YouTube.
0: <laughs> go on, Right, go on their Instagram story. Yeah, it's totally... It, but, it, but it was at the time, I get that. Uh, even, the, I mean, look, even five or six years ago would have been a big deal. I
1: guess. So it was sort of groundbreaking then. And so I think HBO saw that, in Kirby and I, you know, we were doing something intriguing. And so they kind of gave us this deal. Right. Which which we, we were never sure, we weren't sure what it was going to end up, but it wound up being three movies. And so one... Was, and they all evolved out of this idea of giving people cameras. Although what ended up happening is that became a thread in these films and not a hundred percent driven. Right, so not like, the conceit. Right. So we did a film about Las Vegas showgirls for America Undercover, um, which might not even be in my bio, but it's but it's on my IMDb. Glitz and angst. Glitz and angst. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so the, and that did very well for HBO. And but we shot a lot of it. But the footage of of the the you know dancers in the show. It gave it this authenticity because you're there with them when they're doing laundry. You're there with them when they're at the gym and their ankle hurts. And, you know, it was a little different than if we had been there. It gave it a little bit of an extra specialness. And then we did a film about hospice patients where we also gave the dying the the families and the people that were dying cameras. That was super powerful and potent. And then the third one was that we were going to explore this idea of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. And so we and i spent many months and many very long and emotional phone calls basically um talking to all the kind of survivor groups or victim rights advocates victims rights advocate advocacy groups to try to say we want to tell this story we want to understand what it means for someone to go public but um you know we really want to be able to connect with somebody Where it's not all in the past because we knew that as a storytelling, you know, you want something active. Yeah, And so we wanted – the idea was can we get – because at the time this was, you know, you have to remember in a pre-spotlight world. This was, again, 2002. So the headlines were just breaking in Boston. And a lot of the pushback was, oh, why can't they just get over it? And so we – our whole way of thinking was we want to show you why they just can't get over it. Right. And the other big thing for me is that I had grown up Catholic. And so I felt like all through my childhood, it was always this, the little jokes about uh, uh-huh, the priest. Uh-huh. You know, it was always dealt with in such a pushed under the rug kind of snickering way. And n- nobody that I uh, d- it didn't happen to me, obviously, but but it was just it was something that was always hiding under the surface. And yeah. so when it blew up, I thought, OK, I, I want to deal with this sort of community inability to deal with this. Like, Why? why was this allowed to happen why are these people not being punished why are their priests silent all those questions and to tell that through somebody who was who wanted to be a catholic but just was had been abused by by power and had had his you know life and and psychology re, you know messed up as a result of that um so it wasn't about the religion it was about the hierarchy and the and the the the, the people in charge and how they handled it
0: so what was that Experience like you know such a heavy and you know emotionally laden subject <sighs> and what what like and also Valentine Road. I mean, just yeah. doing those types of films that are oh, so emotional. Like, what does that do to you?
1: <sighs> That's a great question. <laughs> How <laughs> much uh, therapy have you
0: had? I, I have had a lot
1: of therapy. <laughs> um Well, and the hospice film too. The end. Right. I mean, I w- was there when people were dying. I mean, literally dying. Right. Um, like last breaths. Yeah, a guy died while I was. I mean, in front of me. Uh, so, um, I mean, it's interesting. I think at a certain point, I mean, uh, part of it was that I, and, and, and to and twist of faith, like I had to absorb a lot of the pain of, and, you know, because when you're making these, when you're, ma- when you're doing, when if you're doing non, if you're telling nonfiction stories, um, you are absorb. It's your mission is to pull out the other people's, pathos and to, and to be, you know, to be responsive to them. So it's not like, so you sort of can go home at the end of the day of like a filming or talking or whatever, however you're interacting. And you realize like, oh, wait, nobody asked me about me today or like, oh, I'm having this problem at home or I'm having this problem, whatever. But I, but I, I can't talk. Like I I don't have any way to deal with it because I'm, my my empathy is going so much toward other people that, that I really feel for but are not my, in, my own intimates and, and my own life that I'm dealing with. So I think at a certain point, I, I've, um, I think my wife felt my, that my, my empathy had been dried up a little bit, that actually I wasn't as empathetic in life as I ha- was giving out to strangers in a way. Yeah. So I had to sort of learn of like, oh, yeah, and maybe I have to balance these kind of really intense projects that I believe in, that I want to, but for my own health with things that are not as intense, like I couldn't, you know, in order to just be a good person, yeah, to, to be, oh, like, healthy, a healthy good person, husband, a good right. father, like, and and to to be able to renew the well of empathy. But I think, yeah, I, I had, it, it, in some ways, my patience maybe for for disappointment or or or, or things had had dried up a little bit because I'd seen people who were, like, really in pain. And so then you're, you you yeah. are sort of do feel I, like— All right.
0: My life is nothing compared to them. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: So, um, but, yeah, so I did have to, like, learn some tools. And I think I also had to choose carefully or realize that I can't do 10, like, heart-tugging things in a row.
0: Right. Got to balance it in with the blind yeah. dates now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll leave that alone. So, I mean, look, you don't obviously do—you do this because you love it and it's in your heart, but it feels— Amazing, I'm sure, to be recognized, and so like for *Twist of Fate*, you were nominated for an Oscar. Yes, that's huge.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Were you expecting it? it? No, not at all. Because it was What was that story. Oh, it was a total dark horse story. I mean, I think we, you know, we hadn't, it hadn't. We we just submitted it for qualification without thinking much. We just thought we we knew that um, like HBO was really high on it, and and we thought that it was. We, we thought that. It was, of all the you know what what we had been doing that we'd sort of sort of building from all those blocks like wow here is a very powerful and empathetic story and the fact that we gave him a camera has gotten these incredible moments where he's and in some ways he was the ideal subject he had already been filming stuff on his own he oh, told wow. he told his daughter for the first time and he filmed it and so it was right. like oh my god like this guy this this guy is sort of ready for to to tell his story and so it was kind of. I think it, we just thought it was good, but we didn't have any hopes because you just you just never know. I always feel that way with Sundance too. Like it's funny, people say, "Oh, you've had films at Sundance. You must just be able to get anything in." And I go, "No, no, no. You don't understand. Like every time, right? It's if it's good. If it's yeah. not good, it doesn't or and not. So I shouldn't say. Sorry, I shouldn't say. Because right, good, good
0: stuff doesn't always good stuff doesn't always
1: really get it. it. It's if it's right for them. Yes. It's like it can be good and not a Sundance film. It can be good and not the right time because they've got other films on the same subject matter. But in other words. It, there's no magic pass to any of this. Yeah. It's like the it, it, it has to connect.
0: Right. And does it um, – and this is kind of a weird question, but once you've been nominated a bunch yeah. for a bunch, does it sort of – do you sort of have to keep that out of your head when you're doing something? Because you don't want that to dictate like – how you're going to
1: produce or direct something? Oh, you mean do I have to worry if I peaked at 34 years old? Um, yeah, um, well. yeah. No, you, you do have to. Yeah, you do because I think that you again. Look, not not every not every good project is an Oscar type project, and so you have to. I, right. I think that for me, I just think I'm going to pick things that interest me, yeah. whether they're really funny, really irreverent, really raw, really powerful and they can be all those things they can be some of those things but if if i think it's interesting and then it, it's not that it doesn't matter but it, i just want to make it the best thing of that type that it can be yeah. and if it does well or look it's always nice to you know you would hope but listen i've done things i'm very proud of that didn't get emmy nominations <laughs> hey. or didn't get oscar nominations <laughs> or got skewered in
0: the press <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> or <it> didn't right <laughs> and, <laughs> and you just have to go well you know, pe- some people Fuck like them. it. <laughs> Fuck them and some people like it. Yeah, I, I always say, though, you can't, you can't answer your critics. No, you, you really can't. can't. You but can't. you can secretly hope that they get gastric distress in an elevator. <laughs> that, that you can do. But you can't, you can't answer them. You just will not win. No, so. it's
0: true. So I actually saw this film is not yet rated in the theater because I'm a big wow. doc fan. Like, I At the to, New Art? I know it was in, I was in Philly. Oh yeah, um, so yeah. they have mm-hmm. great indie, you know, theaters down yeah. there. Um, my friend reminded me when she saw your credit on John Bonet and she said, "Remember we saw his film?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> we did," and it was really good. <laughs> Thank but it you. was so obscure, like in terms of subject matter. Like, what made you think to do that film? So interesting.
1: Well, so again, th- that was the one where I feel like I got to, and and that was the last film that Kirby and I did together as partners. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I felt like that we had made a, a bunch of serious films that. And mm-hmm. look, but for, I sort of wanted to go back to irreverence yeah. and, and I was like that comedy part of me was yeah. like really wanted to come out and sort of, you know, I'd always been, I'd always been interested in censorship. I remember in high school, like writing reports on um, Frank Zappa's battles with the parents <laughs> of music, r- the stickers on the albums, you know, super right. gore. Right. And I, that interested me. I was always fascinated with how Movies get rated. I just was, even as a teenager, not in the business. Like, why is this R? Or why is this PG thirteen?
0: And, and my daughter, <laughs> very interested. Why <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. well, can't it's PG thirteen? Oh, and I'm sure, nine. I sure, should be able to. Sure, this film is yeah, right. rated.
1: Um, and so, um, and I'd always loved Spy Magazine and all this stuff. And so, I mm-hmm. think the idea and Kirby had been fascinated with it too. And so, I think we thought this is very ripe. And we had been pitching it for years as more of an essay film. I think at one point we called it "Sex and Violence," and you know just this idea of filmmakers revealing their battles. And we didn't get the funding. And then I think we came up with the gambit of, "Oh, what if we hire a private investigator to find out who's on the board?" Right. And that was such a it was sort of a meta device. And it's like, well, that sounds like a a, a drama or thriller. Right. Hire a PI to investigate something right. but to have that in a movie about movies right. and then pick the sort of most <laughs> unlikely PI you know to be the hero seemed like well that's kind of irresistible and so then uh, in the wake of Twist of Faith getting nominated and uh, and and that concept IFC was willing to back it
0: and then um, there was a lot of controversy about it right I mean that was sort of the meta, meta-ness of
1: it all yeah so we'd always intended that the th- that in the third act of the film we would submit the very film that you're watching right. for a rating. Right. And so we actually had to do that. So we submitted a cut of the film yeah. and then, you know, and then the MPA went bananas right. uh, because they didn't expect to sit down that morning and watch a film about themselves. <laughs> I love <laughs> and, it. And so then, yes, then they handed us an NC-17 rating. But is that um,
0: what it exi- is? that the rating on it now?
1: Well, no, that was the interesting thing. And part of what we were trying to show. So we appealed the rating and lost. Now, but IFC, which was not part of the signatory seven, the big major corporations who agree to have their movies rated. In other words, they can't release an unrated film. Mm-hmm. But IFC was not. So we could eschew the rating. The irony was that the MPAA had decided um, you you have to, they send you like a piece of like carbon paper, literally, <laughs> that has the rating on it. And you're supposed to say you agree or don't and send it back. Uh-huh. And um, we had that piece of paper and it it disappeared from the office. And I was like, wait. And so before the film was coming out, IFC was calling and saying, we're trying to run ads, but papers won't run ads because the MPA is saying it's an NC-17, yeah. which was, of course, proving the point, which we had said. <laughs> right. If it's an NC-17, you won't get ads. You won't get... And it was wow. happening to us. That's insane. And we said, but, but I said, but wait, it's unrated. And then it the, turned out they called the MPA and they said, well, you have to send this piece of paper back to say that you don't accept the rating. But you didn't have the paper. Well, I found we found out I, I found a copy. I made a copy of it and okay. put it somewhere else. And okay. I found the copy and said, we're looking for the original. Here's the copy. We don't accept the rating. And so then it was OK. Um, but and then the, the night of the premiere, um, one of the interns who was working for us hands us a gift wrapped present. And we opened it up and the certificate had been framed. And I said, said, wait, I've been looking for the certificate. I need to give it to the MPA. Right. Don't frame it. Right. So I think, I don't know if we sent it back in the frame, like in thinking that they would think it was a a joke that we framed it. But um, but anyway, so that that had to happen. So it was very weird after making a meta (laughs) movie to be having the meta come back at you. Like, wait, no, we talked about how this was unfair and now it's happening to us. So. But it
0: must have been kind of gratifying. I mean, in a way that it was sort of this other layer. I mean, it's kind of a good thing.
1: It's kind of a good thing, but at the time it seemed not funny <laughs> because it was like, okay. wait, I can't get my censorship movie out because we're being censored from, from running Touche. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's crazy. So I do want to talk about Valentine Road because I did finally watch it last night. Part of mm. it was that I couldn't find it. So it was on oh, HBO uh, Go. Yeah, that's right. So I will tell the listeners that mm-hmm. that is uh, the best way to watch it. And, I mean, it was it was really something I have to say. I, I sort of remembered the story. I won't say it was like on the top of my mm-hmm. head, you know, like it's it was a well-known story at the yep. time. And so I would love for you to talk about it first, how you came to the story and my, sure. what made you want to do it.
1: Uh, so I keep, you know, paper files and stuff. I'm a super tactile thinker and I rip stuff out of magazines and newspapers, even now when most things are digital, mm-hmm. still subscribe to like dozens of magazines. And so I had kept a file on the Lawrence King case, which was what Valentine Robe was based on, the school shooting that happened in Oxnard. And I was fascinated with it because I thought this is very tragic and seems like it could have happened a million miles away, but it happened in Oxnard, which is right outside of L.A., which is, you know, liberal, cosmopolitan. But here, the kid was shot in class for his gender expression. So wait, what's going on? And so I, I had the, you know, newspaper articles on and I thought, well, this make a good film someday. And then it just so happened that I was put in touch with someone who was like a first-time filmmaker um, through a mutual friend who was filming in this community in the wake of this, just on her own. And this woman's name is Marta Cunningham,
0: right? Okay. director
1: of the film. Interesting. And yeah, and she really was, I mean, just going up there, she just, she, she, you know, look, she'd read the same articles as me, but she actually... She took the camera and she went and did it. Kind of going back to what I was saying of why I wanted to get into docs in the first place. You can just take a camera and do it. Right. And also going back to another point that we said earlier, like as you get on in your career and you have a family, you have to think about choices that you make. And so I'm less and less inclined to pick up a camera and go do it. But I'm super responsive to people who do. Yeah. And so she was doing that. And so, you know, and it's funny. I was like, well... I don't know if I have time, but I'm so, I'll I'll meet with her. And I met with her. I was very impressed with her. And she had this footage, which was very emotionally immediate and very intimate. And I thought, okay, like, you know, if we could get her, you know, a, a, a crew, a real crew, some money, a great editor incubate this thing so that she's allowed to kind of find the film because it was clearly going to take time to make inroads, to tell both sides of the story. There was, it looked like there would be a trial, which there was and it took years. So, um, I thought that we had to find kind of a very special partner who would like be willing to take a flyer on this and and get it. And that came in the form of Buna Murray. Um, you know, I, I had wanted to work with Sasha Alpert there who's a producer and and she kind of has this, you know, basically boutique doc division that they do. Like, they make all this, you know, reality TV, but their roots are in, you know, right. whatever we want to call real doc right, or whatever, right. or feature doc. And so they had an interest in it. And so I thought, well, I want to take it to her because I think she'll get it. And so we made, I hired an editor. We kind of made, like, a trailer. Right. We, we wrote a treatment. We brought it in. We did the pitch. Um, And they were... You know, John Murray and Sasha were really won over by it. And Gil Goldshine also there. And, and they were interested. And then they said, well, we we, we want to see more. So then we had an editor cut like, I don't know, 35 minutes of selects mm-hmm. of, of the footage that she had. And I think maybe we did a little more shooting. And we kind of came in and walked through it. You know, we sort of had it in like character pods. Mm-hmm. Like, here's this person. Yeah. Here's this person. Here's what we think it's going to go. Yeah, it's a good way. Because And you know this, I'm sure, from your own pitching is... Difficult thing with nonfiction is like, well, we think it's going to go here or we or we can do certain things that we hope will, you know, give it a it's a temporal arc. It's, a you know, certain things in the story where we know these things will happen.
0: Right. But a lot of. Right. You knew there was a trial. Right. And you'll be following that arc at least.
1: Yes. Or or, but they could have settled. So who who, who, who knows? You don't really know. But you can you can project multiple scenarios because. And again, this goes back to anybody who's going to want to put money in, unless you want to do it on your own and sell it when it's finished, anyone who's going to want to put money up front is going to want some assurances, Right. some, what am I going to get? Yeah. What are we going to see? And so you do it to the best of your ability. And I think that they saw, okay, these characters are rich. The subject matter is very important. And we believe that it, that it's going to work, that there is a film here. And so that's what we did. So we sort of, they came on as a, you know, and, and, took on the film and did agreed.
0: Did they fund it or did HBO fund it?
1: No, they they funded it. It was interesting. They agreed to fund it a certain amount and agreed to help raise the rest, you know, and then they did. They they helped us, you know, go to get a Ford grant, Ford Foundation right, grant. And that and that was a big deal. And that really that and and their funding made it possible. Uh they you know, they fulfilled everything and they were really a supportive home for it. And Marta has, you know a great directing career from out of this is doing all this tv you know big tv shows transparent and stuff like that oh wow and yeah and um and i think the film was a really powerful statement about tolerance and 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 particularly in schools in the sense of like how can you teach tolerance if the educators aren't necessarily all on board with the program
0: oh my like. god that was what struck me i mean there were so many things that struck me especially in light of where we are now in 2016 mm-hmm. and with you know trump america um right. and you know in certain ways how far we've come with you know at the time it was being called being called a gay hate crime I yeah. mean, i don't think that would even happen today i mean it was right. clearly this kid was struggling with identity yes and, and um But the intolerance and the division, I mean, there was a lot of unexpected things. I mean, the the defense lawyers, for one, were very unexpected characters to me. that's right. You know, they seemed almost sort of hippie progressive. And then, you know, here they are defending a white supremacist killer. I mean, he's a kid, but he's a killer. And and sort of the level that they became obsessed with this Mm -hmm. kid in this case was really, uh, it was upsetting to me, Mm -hmm. but also just you know, sort of revelatory in a way. Right. And then the teachers, same thing. I mean, it was just like, I couldn't believe the shit that was coming out of their mouths. It was insane.
1: Well, and the court, the, the jurors too. I mean, it's interesting. Sorry.
0: (laughs) That was the trio, the jurors. Yeah. And when the jurors spoke, I go, this is how Trump got elected.
1: (laughs) Correct. I mean, it's funny because I I hadn't thought of the film in those terms, but if you saw it now, yes, absolutely. Because, and I, and we, I was in the courtroom for several days and, you realize very quickly because the um, district attorney um, who is amazing, who is amazing, made very impassioned pleas for basically for tolerance and for understanding what it means not to fit in, what it means to be persecuted, what it means to not to to be beat up and all this stuff. And I realized as you heard from as you as you watched this, I thought, oh my gosh, I think she's making a plea about bullying to the people who would have not understood, you know, who, who you know, I can't say what individuals did or didn't do, but if you, it's one thing to preach, <laughs> to preach tolerance to people who understand what it means to be bullied. It's another to preach it to people who might've been the people mocking. <laughs> you can't teach them right. the empathy. Like if, if they don't, if, and that's, born out in this election like if you don't understand yep. what it means to be disenfranchised um you know unaccepted d- talked down to not not in power
0: right
1: you have no idea you have no idea and so that well h- how do you give people empathy that's really and so like i didn't think like she was she had these great speeches and i thought i bet they're falling on deaf ears because they would have just as easily maybe not related to this kid when they were kids you know cuz ultimately there's like that's what pe- pe- people grow up. They don't necessarily grow wiser. They're, they might just be the same person from junior high, but just older. <laughs> they- yeah.
0: And I think your point earlier is great, which is that this is Oxnard, California, which is, you know, less than an hour from L.A. With, without traffic. And uh, it felt like it could have been in the middle of Kentucky. I mean, I was I, in the middle of it. I said to my husband, I said, where is isn't Oxnard like where we know people who yeah. like have houses that I don't understand like wh- yeah. what this place is.
1: Yeah. No, I know and that, and I thought that was actually really important in the telling too of like yeah. hey it can it can happen anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it you know uh, and I think we're seeing that now. The idea that um and going back to this election, oh, we live in a bubble. Well, let me tell you, your bubble can be burst at any time because yeah. you, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> intolerance is everywhere. Yeah,
0: I saw you post that on Facebook. There was a swastika here in L.A., right? Yes. That was really disturbing. I mean, it's beyond even something to talk about. I mean, it's just so unbelievable.
1: Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to pretend that there's not hate uh, anywhere, that, that you'd be a foolish to do that. Um, so that's why I thought that was important. And I think it, it would be interesting for people to see it now in light of the kind of the direction of the country.
0: Yeah, because it was made in 20, 2008. Uh, well, no, uh, 2013. One... It
1: came out. It came out. Oh, sorry. Started... He died in, tw- in 2008. That's right. And okay. he, we started making it in like 2010.
0: Okay well it was it was really excellent. and I'm, and Thank I you. urge everybody to see it. So Thank I want to get into some of the TV stuff yeah, now sure. a little lighter notes,
1: because oh, this is the reality of reality. it is. It's not the DL and the documentary. <laughs> we got to get with the TV well,
0: I mean, the, the thing that I love about reality reality is like documentary really is the reality. And then, it, you know, this unscripted business has kind of hijacked the name,
1: right? Yeah, well, it's funny because you you said this up top. but like I think the fact, and I it's uh, I, I cringe a little bit to say, You know, my brand is authenticity, but I think (laughs) I think the the nature of if you believe in authenticity and getting real moments, um, I think the the cyclically we've come around now in television where like people appreciate that they see through the overproduced stuff, but they have an appetite for real stories. So they've sure they've been enjoying a certain type of of show, but they actually now are smarter. Then then maybe some of the shows that were on 10 years ago and they 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 can sniff it out that it isn't real real. And so it's a good time, I guess, for people yeah. like me who are like think who think, why can't I make the same kind of quality that I would make in a feature on television? I should be able to do that. People are smart enough yeah. to, to enjoy that and to get something out of it.
0: Absolutely. So you, um, just some of the stuff that you've done on TV, and we can't talk about all of them. But who do you think you are? Which is a fantastic show. And it was NBC and then TLC with uh, Lisa Kudrow, um, where where celebrities go back and trace their roots. And I know I think we talked about that a little bit. Who were some of those celebrities that you did?
1: I didn't do that. I I did Jason Sudeikis, which was a terrific experience. And they had asked me to do more, and I was never able to do more. I did a tiny piece of Rashida Jones, but like literally like. Like one pickup thing that they needed. But okay. I had a great experience with them doing the Jason Sudeikis one. And it taught me things that I still use today about experiential storytelling. What is it? What do you mean by that? <clears throat> um, I just mean that when you bring people into an experience, if they can see it and feel it, it's better than just hearing it or telling it.
0: Oh, I like that. So and before we met up to do um, John Jambinay, you were doing Chelsea does for Netflix, uh-huh. and those were four hours. Um, Chelsea does marriage, Chelsea does racism, Chelsea mm-hmm. does money, or uh,
1: no nah, Silicon, <laughs> Silicon
0: Valley. It was money to me,
1: <laughs> and Chelsea does drugs, which right. is the best title of the four.
0: Uh, that was the bad. That <laughs> episode was hilarious, where her friends like bugging out. Um, but she was—you said she was actually really. Great, and part of, I think, what you said was, you know, your mission was to sort of bring out the vulnerability, and I think you did a really good job of that because she's pretty harsh, you know, without those walls breaking down.
1: Yeah, I think she can't... I mean, look, she's a comic... I mean, anyone who's been around comics, comics can be harsh. I mean, part of what... um, I mean, comics with other comics will be more vicious and mean than you could... But it's all in the name of of comedy. Yeah. (laughs) But there is an undercurrent through it. So I wouldn't... I, I think... All comedy has a level of that. If your brain works that fast, you can't help but be critical or it, po- it comes into your head. You know? Right. So, but what I did see in her work was oh, I think there's something really interesting, like in her books, you know, kind of a, a different voice. I think, you know, look, mm-hmm. E was a certain type of show. And I just got the sense from sitting in a room with her of like, oh, you're very engaged with people like she would really she'll pay attention. She'll notice your shoes and you don't even notice that she looked at your shoes and she'll hmm. talk to you. She'll ask you. Th- and I thought, oh, you know, the, the e show is set up. You're behind a desk mm-hmm. and the other people are another day. De- like what about getting you out into the world, getting you in with people that you're naturally curious about and to show how much curiosity you have and how much interest you have, like it, that it's not about you, yeah. you know? And I think, look, it, it, I mean, it they're comic documentaries. In other words, these topics have been done before, but the idea is to see it through, a, filtered through a comic personality. So, of course, her perceptions are going to help shape it, but, but the journey in which she's like, I actually want to go out and figure this out or talk to people I would never meet before, that's genuine, and I, and I think, you know, you can't... You can't fake that. You can't fake that engine. That's a powerful storytelling engine, curiosity, and and also quick wit and intelligence because that means, well, that person is going into a situation and their, their brain is firing. Like if they're in it, they're really in it.
0: So does that mean that you had to do sort of very little directing and producing because she was just so on it?
1: Well, I mean, I think, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think with any of this stuff, it's like you're trying to, create an alchemy where something will happen and so you want to you know with anything and this goes back to what we were talking about before about the responsibility of storytelling when it's got a deadline and a budget and a format it's like well we only know we have a certain amount of shooting days right. and we know so it's like we we would talk about well what do you want to experience on this journey and then in the moment, it's really up to her. I mean, it's really right. up to what she brings to the table. And so, sure, there might be, you know, suggestions or kind of thoughts of like, well, what what do we need to make a scene? But like, I can't tell her how to react to some white supremacist or right. how to react to an ex-boyfriend. Like, that's real. Yeah. And- Those are
0: the, that came through. Those are really organic moments. It's yeah. Her and, being disarmed.
1: Right. And I think, so a lot of it was sort of setting up a right. way in which that could happen. And so- you know but again because i have done comedy and a lot of my even comedy was going on into the world in character in real situations <laughs> right I, I that's not that far away like it's just like it's just injecting an energy into a world like it doesn't so in other words if she walks into a a group a you know relationship counseling group that automatically it has a great dynamic and a loaded perspective. I don't know what those people are going to say about those relationships. I don't know how she's going to react to them, but I do know that she has opinions about relationships. And if you put her in a situation with other opinionated people, things will happen.
0: Yeah. I love her with kids. That's I think yeah, that's my she's favorite. She's just really funny with kids. Yeah. She's
1: very funny. And, she and, is. And, and, and no question. And I think she was willing. I give her a lot of credit because she was brave. Yeah. And so she was willing to go there. She was willing to work without a net and to sort of you know have uh experiences uh, that that weren't just about getting a joke in landing a joke i mean there's no question she was funny and there's no question that things were intended to be funny in the films but if she had some comics are not great listeners particularly stand-ups they they might they just want to land their joke Mm -hmm. they're thinking of the next joke when they're talking to you um, she's not like that. She's actually in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So she might think of something funny, but it isn't just about her. She's paying attention. So if you yeah. say something, she could stop and switch gears. Right. I don't know that every comic personality could do that. I think they might have their jokes in their head and be just ready to where's that? where am I going to put that joke in?
0: Yeah. I have a particular... Um... Uh, repulsion that's the kind of a strong word to that because even because I listen to a lot of podcasts and interviews and you yeah. know Howard Stern who's like the all-time greatest Great. interviewer he, he listens Terry Gross she listens so when I hear um, people interviewing that just have their list of questions and they're not in the conversation it makes me <laughs> mental like when you see the follow-up question right in front of you right. you know and I try to do that too it's, it's hard I mean you have to you know you have to be spontaneous
1: you have to be present present and and, present. and it's a trick to be present it's yeah. funny uh, that you say that cuz actually about eight questions ago i thought oh my god am i reverting to a stock answer or am i really <laughs> answering the question i was actually worried that i, I was doing it but, Not but at I, all. I, I do think it is um yeah and and by the way being present is something for sketch or improv and and it is for stand up too but obviously like you're alone in stand up so you have control i mean yes there's hecklers and stuff but it's just a different energy but when you're doing Improper sketch, it is about the team. It is a yes and. And so I think that having that, that means that you have to be totally present. So I think one of the things that I try to do actually in the all the nonfiction work, because when you are show running and directing, those are two very different hats. And so I know I'm jumping ahead here, but it's about being no, in the moment. It's perfect
0: because I want to transition into this
1: which I think Chelsea was really good at staying in the moment. Which And so for me, as a behind the scenes, I'm trying to strip away all the problems about the budget, all the, the equipment that we didn't get, that somebody's not feeling well. And I'm trying to be, when we're shooting it, in the moment, only about what is happening in front of the camera. Because that's the only thing that ends up mattering. Nobody knows that... The lunch was terrible, or that <laughs> the, the light fucking fell over. Right. Nobody knows that; right. they'll never know it.
0: Your, your second camera called in sick two hours before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or just
1: took another job. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. That happens too.
0: Yeah, so when we met, um, you came on to do the uh, the case of for CBS, the John Benet Ramsey Show, and and uh, and you did wear both those hats, and that was a lot. I mean, because you were dealing with about 7,000 things in addition to directing the show. Mm-hmm. So I will, uh, I have paid you this compliment a million, a million times, I'll pay you again. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're extremely um, competent and amazing at all of those things. And that's, I think, very rare to be able to balance all that and still direct a scene and be present and listening to the information. I mean, we had a lot of very <laughs> dense information, you know, sure. I mean, it was it was not just sort of a light,
1: and dark. Right. Right. Very yeah. Dense and, and, dense and, and dark. Di- yeah. Difficult to swallow
0: with a lot of, you know, personalities and experts and people with, you know, very large resumes doing very particular things. And I think you just did an incredible job of, of navigating all of that while still collaborating, because, I mean, the schedule was insane. That's really <laughs> this, is, this is not beat that dead horse. But it was, you know, Herculean to try to pull it off. Yeah. And, and you did. And I don't think you lost your mind, or maybe you did, but you've gotten it back. I, I got it back. <laughs> you got it back, thank yeah. God. But um, you know, what was what was that experience like for you? Um,
1: and why did you want to do it? That's a great question. Why did I want to do it? <laughs> well, because I, I, I think going back to the uh, um, the eclectic thing, I I I'm drawn to things that interest me. Uh, I'm drawn to things that have uh, an iconography to them, which of course this case does. Yeah. And, and it has intriguing questions. I'm, I'm also drawn to the questioning of, of, of um, conventional wisdom, which again, this case also has. And so those things, so those are core questions that happen for me, whether it's a a lighter or a darker piece and, uh, you know, and so this had those things. And I guess I never want to think I can only do one kind of storytelling. So the idea of like, oh, I just came off a comic documentary series. I want to do something that's true crime. That's very dark, totally different. Um, and it's not like other things that I'd, things that I'd done before didn't have those elements, certainly Twist of Faith and Valentine Road do have those elements, but this is right square in the middle of that. And it's a big known case. And so I guess for me, I thought, well, this is an intriguing challenge. And then also, again, I wanted to apply that model of active storytelling. Like I don't want to do a clip show, about this subject. That doesn't interest me. I want to follow a group of people who are experts actively trying to figure it out. That's much more interesting to me. And I think, because people would ask all the time, well, who do you think did it? And I'd say, (laughs) it doesn't matter who I thought did it. it, it, These are the people who know their stuff. It's about them. It's not about me at all. So that was what intrigued me. I think also like to work with people who were, at the top of their game. I mean, these people who just have put in their 10,000 hours and then some right. in this sector of criminology or whatever you want to call it. And so that was a thrill for me. And it was funny, you know, to be work, working with them because I was like, wow, like the, the, what incredible brains, <laughs> yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. And what what's your biggest takeaway as a director slash showrunner in terms of, you know, what you'll bring to your next projects?
1: Well, um, yeah, I, I think probably... Again, that that being able to separate the two roles, like I think, yeah. um, you know, part, part of it, um, part of it is like, I, I guess I always think like you can lead with inspiration or you can lead with fear. Uh, and a lot <laughs> of times in Hollywood, people lead with fear. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that's effective. So I prefer to lead with inspiration. I would rather get people. Engaged and excited about what we're doing, why we're doing it, what's important about it, who's involved, and I would rather like, come on, we, we this we're doing something great, uh, rather than um, always like, oh, you know, the sky's gonna fall, someone's gonna be fired. This is like that. That's the <laughs> right. wrong way. And 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 listen, a lot of the what you have to do then is to sort of push that negativity out when you're on the set or whatever you want to, when you're shooting, not set necessarily, but when you're filming the thing, because who wants to be worried again about these things that that don't matter? Um, They matter emotionally. I I think, I guess that's the thing is to sort of think about like that you really are wearing two hats and one is kind of a managerial leadership one and one is for lack of a better term a more artistic I was just thinking that super right, yeah. detail oriented and I guess part of I always say like oh I I showrun for the privilege of directing because really that's what I really I enjoy hmm. directing very much. yeah and the show running is really hard. That's the harder thing. I don't find I'm not really stressed on yeah. on uh, when I'm shooting right. I'm really not because I feel like oh we got this yeah like like I know what I'm doing yeah. and, and I like doing it and I like com- very natural. Yeah, feels very natural. The, but the dealing with all the personalities and the mechanics and the logistics, that's the hard part. So, yeah, I guess I feel like sometimes I i think I probably said to my wife, too, like, why can't can I why don't I get to just be the tortured artist? Why yeah. can't I be like the infantile artist that throws a fit and gets what they want? And <laughs> right. everybody's like, Ooh, the artist, we have to let him get what he wants. You can't do that when you're wearing both hats because right. you are the person giving yourself license to be the artist. But in some ways, I find that, well, in some it gives you the ability to have that job maybe somebody wouldn't just hire me as the director so yeah. i am the if you want me to do this i'm also directing yeah part of the gig but also i know what the limitations are so i i also know that like i as sh- i am responsible so i can't only go so far you know yeah um but but there are times where it gets tough and you're like i i really just want what I want. Why can't I get it? You know, because of course, well, you
0: want it in the interest of a great product. It's not like you're being a baby. Correct.
1: (laughs) Well, no, right. That's right. That's right. I always say I'm not asking for anything I don't need. I'm doing it because I know that I'm going to be watching this or somebody's going to be watching this. And this idea, this way to tell this idea, this, this moment that would be a water cooler, you know, thing in people's minds won't be there. Unless we do this, and so yeah, it isn't about me. Like, oh, can I have a drone because that's cool? <laughs> right. Like, if I don't need a drone to tell the story, we're not going to have a drone. Yes. But but we might You're need. You're very reasonable. <laughs> I try you, to be. You are. But but what what but 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 you do go. Oh, but wait a minute. I do need the time. We're going to do this, yeah. and like in Jean Bonnet, there's a lot of you know active tests, and it, and because like oh, you could read about that in a in a book or oh. 10 years ago, somebody tried to prove this and it's a factoid, but what if somebody, what if I try to do it now? What if I try to do it in these conditions? What if I try to do it with a different level of analysis? The people who maybe analyze this stuff weren't the experts that we currently have in the room. Let's let them do it. And by the way, as expert witnesses or whatever they're doing in in their post, you know, kind of retirement criminology world, right. they do these experiments. Yeah. They do them for each yeah. other. They do them in close quarters all the time. And they have to co- then go to a court and say, when, we ha- when a car hits somebody, at, you know, that's what they do. So we're just showing what is part and parcel of how you figure out how crimes were committed. And so I thought, well, that's what people need to see because then you walk away and go, oh, now I get it. Before yeah. I didn't get it. I read a bunch of stuff. I heard a bunch of stuff. Okay. But now I saw I need to them see it. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So that makes sense. So um, I always end with some stock questions and yeah, see see how you feel about these. Okay. And this month, this one might be hard considering you've had so many. But <laughs> if you had to name your proudest accomplishment, other oh, than your boy. you know your proudest professional accomplishment,
1: uh, I'm proud. To have a family. I'm proud to have my wife and son. I mean, that's, I'm proud of that. That's a, that, you know.
0: And professionally, uh, if you had to sort of pick one thing.
1: Uh boy, that's a rough one. I don't know. I mean, I guess in some ways it's funny because I, we're talking about all the, the, um, the serious stuff. I don't know. Does it, I mean, I, I suppose in some ways I feel like there's some, more legacy for me, a tie, I suppose, between this film Is Not Yet Rated and the Chelsea films, because I feel like they're more reflective of my real personality. I mean, not to say that I don't have a serious side, okay. but but there is a part of me that believes very heavily in changing people's minds through making fun and through satire and through comedy. And so I don't get to do that 100% of the time, but the stuff that has that in my canon, if you will, is probably the closest to me. Like, I listen to every comedy podcast. I read all the history of comedy books. Like, I'm very steeped in it. And if I feel like I could contribute to that with some smart ideas, that feels like that's a good lasting thing that I did.
0: Are you a big fan of sort of the political satire stuff like John Oliver and Samantha Bee? Are you... John
1: Oliver is okay. terrific. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't I don't watch him probably enough as I should. Um, but I, I actually tend to love, I mean, a lot of... I, maybe it's because I'm steeped in the real already. Yeah. So like right. the stuff that i be More, like, I was... Louie, I know you're a big Louis, fan. Louie, yeah. Maria Bamford's show, Lady Dynamite. Oh,
0: it's the best. Fantastic. The, brilliant. Brilliant.
1: Yeah. Like. I like the Pamela Adlon show and yeah. it's like better things. Yeah, I like it's it's yeah. smart. I like... Um, I liked uh, Zach Galifianakis' show Baskets.
0: I haven't watched it yet, but I know it's you know it's critically <laughs> it's, lauded.
1: I like girls oh, very much. I, I really like it. I can't do it. Okay, but I tend to yeah, I tend to like things that are dealing with. Um, awkward and uncomfortable humor <laughs> yeah and so if I can bring some awkward and uncomfortable humor to my own work I'm very proud
0: <laughs> nice I recommend Search Party by the way to add uh, oh. to your um, it's got crime and comedy which is a nice uh, okay it's like uh, I think you'll like it okay I will. Yeah. Masters
1: of None is another one that I'm really oh liking. it's great yeah, yeah. The Aziz yeah um,
0: and do you have any regrets
1: oh boy sure I, I think yeah I, I regret the projects that didn't get made yeah That's I mean don't you
0: yeah. Oh, my God. It's my babies. I call right. them my babies and they just sit there like, you know, not growing.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're in the
0: incubators. Well, and I've
1: seen other people make them right. or <laughs> or things based on them. Yeah. You know, oh, or, or that's, that's the hardest. And it's not even so much. Oh, yeah. they stole my well, sometimes it's like, oh, I had the rights for a while and they lapsed. Right. That's happened in a few cases.
0: Oh, that's brutal.
1: Which sucks. And yeah. then but then there's also like, oh, it's just an idea in the zeitgeist. Right.
0: Right. And it's going to You can't get blame done. anyone. Can't. Right, exactly. It's like you just didn't put it together. So right. you So for whatever reason, you right. just didn't push it through. Although
1: sometimes then then it also works out to your benefit. Like I remember thinking <laughs> at the time like, wait, I thought it would be good to put Paris Hilton in a show. But now, now many years later I think I'm, I'm okay. glad I wasn't the person. Yeah, that, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's but yeah, funny. I think I, I do regret in some sense like, oh, I think that would have been a great thing thing at that time and also I've had to pivot too like I think I've had to redefine who I am at various points because projects didn't get made in other words for a long time I was Kirby's producing partner right and then I was the head of the IDA and then I was yeah TV guy. Like, so you're sort of always pivoting a little bit. Yeah.
0: And you're, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of remarkable, but you know, I I just want to say like, I've been sitting with my computer open. (laughs) I never do that in an interview because I have it all in my head. I don't like to over-prepare. I have it in my head, but you have so many damn credits and your bio is so dense in a great way that I I didn't want to sort of gloss over anything, which we did. We glossed over a lot because there is so much, but you know, I think sort of what, I I don't know. I'm you know, of all the guests I've had so far, I think that that pivoting, um, you've done more of it in a really interesting way than anyone else that I've had. So it's like I want to keep following your career, and I hope you know I tried to poach you for this latest project, and I know you're you're tied up, but um, I hope that we get to work together again.
1: Me too. Me too. I mean, again, I'm I'm just out for the most interesting ideas, and that I can change that. That I don't I don't want to stay in my own lane. Yeah. And. You're not supposed to be able to do that in Hollywood,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. So you're blazing a path. <laughs>
1: well, and, for now, we'll, well
0: see. You're no spring chicken, Eddie. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's
1: what, well, right. You're so well there's a established. Fine, there's a fine no, but I mean, like, you don't know how long people will give you the license right. to do anything. You well, know, in other words, I think
0: I like to say I think that it's changing. I mean, in a good way, where. You know, hopefully we won't get sort of pushed back in the box. You know what I mean? That there are so many just avenues to make. I mean, I know you're doing a show for Netflix now. And I mean, it's just going to keep opening and opening. So hopefully you won't won't have to ever have that problem.
1: I hope so. I'd always like to be able to say, oh, that's great. I want to work with a comedian again. Or I'd like to do another true crime. Or I'd like to, like, that there isn't only, I can only be the true crime guy. Or I can only be the guy that works with comedians. Like, that would be not interesting to me. Because... I I guess I'm easily bored. <laughs> I want to, I don't, like some people want to just figure out something and then do it over and over again. But like, to me, the idea of like a hundred episodes of the same thing. Yeah. Oh, Ooh,
0: I just thought of the best okay. show I have in my stable that I'm going to pitch you when we get off mic. Okay. Because it's a crime meets comedy. Oh,
1: oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. We got to wrap okay. this up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> over.
0: Thank you for being here. Ellie. Thank you. It was
1: fun.